about the global financial crisis. It's the big debate today, effectively. And I've gotten myself into a state that I'm going to introduce everybody on the panel before we go any further. My co-host, Lindsay Williams, strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Preston Niren Sami is Medbank Private Wealth, Mia Kruger, Kruger International. David Shapiro will be with us uh, shortly. And of course, David Shapiro from Sassman Securities. We've also got Fazam Esani, who is the co-founder and CEO of Vala. And we're going to deep dive into a number of topics today. Inflation, stagflation, cryptocurrency, is the financial environment about to implode? Are we looking at another scenario um, vis-a-vis 2008 global financial crisis? Uh, Mia, I'm out of the starting blocks. As you can hear, I've probably been up all night watching all sorts of reports. And uh, I know um, probably this is not what you as a long-term investor have. You don't take account of all of no. this noise. Are you concerned? No, so the big thing, Bronwyn, I just maybe a tip and um, a life lesson is that worry won't add one hour to your life. So there's no need to worry. <laughs> I think, you know, there's nothing we could do about any of the news going going around. The fact is that the market is worried. So we see, we see prices jittery. We've seen uh, quite big moves over the last two weeks on global markets last night again in the U.S., and this morning in Europe, the market has already opened quite a bit lower. So uh, interestingly enough, I've seen that the, the dollar, despite the fact that it's a risk-off environment, uh, has strengthened. But the emerging market currencies have sort of moved sideways over the past two days, which is quite encouraging for the RAND. Uh, so, yes, I think, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've, there's no single uh, um, point of noise at this stage. There's a couple of, 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 of issues that uh, everyone is starting to, to get concerned about. We know that tapering is around the corner, despite the fact that the economy in, in, in the U.S. Has, uh, has gotten off to a very strong start after COVID reopening. There is still a lot of supply chain issues, and we see that not only in the chip market, which is something that's uh, been in the forefront of the media quite substantially, but in everything, really. And then along with that, the, the worry that the inflation, the, the, the transitory inflation will remain higher for, for uh, longer than the central banks anticipated. And then, of course, uh, all the issues that we see in China, a lot of those issues weren't anticipated. And that's normally what makes the market very jittery is the fact that uh, when things go differently to what people have anticipated or something pops out of the woods that they didn't know about, uh, they get emotional and they start uh, selling uh, selling shares and, and doing all sorts of things with their long-term investments that they really shouldn't do. Okay, Mia, that's a, that's a good point. Um, you shouldn't fiddle around just because of noise on shows like this and uh, in other, other mediums. But um, I'll put this to you, Preston. I've noticed that in the last week or so, and actually beyond that, the market participants have started to behave differently. In other words, they'd be one day down and then you'd get two or three days up as people say, phew, thank goodness I've got a chance to get in again. This time it's drip, drip, drip on the downside. I mean, the S&P was 4,560 or, or something a, a few weeks ago. Now it's 4,260 on the futures this morning. That is not normal. It's coming down, down and down. And I think the China story is the elephant in the room, personally. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there, Lindsay. It looks like, yeah, I mean, China's just been weighing heavily on markets. So with the, just not just the reg crackdowns, you know, on the commodity side, um, the common prosperity, um, you know, uh, policies that are, that are going to come into play going forward. And, you know, the Ever, Evergrande saga 
and uh, what that means, you know, for 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 just the financial system, you know, thirty to forty percent of you know the similar type of shadow banking loans um, are, 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 are are you know locked in you know in, in in the Chinese banking system, and that would obviously have massive implications for markets. Um, of course, a lot of that debt's you know funded in house or um, by China itself. Um, but nevertheless, you know, <laughs> um, China's too big to ignore, and that would certainly have a ripple effect um, into financial markets globally. And for us, as a you know emerging market economy, uh, you know, a commodity currency for for South Africa and the likes of other emerging markets, um, it's much more pain. So we've seen, you know, the rand, you know, blow out. We've seen our bond market come under massive pressure. It's been the theme across different EMs as well. So it's certainly. Um, a lot of issues in China, a lot of things brewing in the background, and I think uh, I think it's going to be there for quite some time, uh, Lindsay. You know, these are not small issues; these are not issues that we can overlook. It's all surfaced all at once, and it's taken the market a little bit by surprise. Um, you know, in hindsight, we should have been looking more intently at these things, but um, for some reason, we've we've just uh, we've just enjoyed the ride upward, Lindsay. And uh, now we're getting nervous that the you know the the, the journey is turning the other direction. Well, that's really it, Fazam. That there's complacency, and we've got used to the easy money, to the party. Parties do come to an end. And uh, earlier we were just listening to a report from Wyon, a television station that is broadcast on Sky News. We're looking at Evergrande, three hundred billion dollars owed to 171 local domestic institutions in China and 121 other financial institutions. And if you look at China from a property perspective, just one step that they quoted this morning, 2018, in 2018, there were 50 million vacant homes in China. The government currently is blowing up those vacant homes in order to try and write the uh, supply demand equation. I mean, this, and this, you know, looks as though it could be the tip of the iceberg. People are saying there are another 10 real estate companies that are probably going to find themselves in the same predicament as China. And, you know, Mia, they're saying, look through the noise, don't worry, agreed. But, you know, the financial crisis of 2008 happened. Do we ignore these signals right now? Fazan. I very much appreciate Mia's sentiment and outlook on life. But I do think that it is important to take note of the worries. Uh, and I think there is a much more worry in the system than our human mind would like to acknowledge. And the reason I say that is that, yes, China is an issue. The whole issue with Evergrande or Ever, Evergrande, I don't know how you pronounce it, is a big issue. Uh, and, you know, the markets are jittery because of that. You know, that could be this little trigger that cascades throughout the entire financial system, as we saw, you know, in 2008, 2009. But I think we've got much bigger issues. I think, you know, when we have these discussions respectfully, we, we kind of focus a little bit on what the markets are doing, et cetera. And we don't take a step back to look at what is our system doing? You know, the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve is at eight, nearly 8.5 trillion US dollars, right? We're looking at, we often talk about, you know, US treasuries that, you know, the foreigners own most of it and over $1 trillion is owned by the Chinese. But we don't talk about the fact that the Federal Reserve owns 5.4 trillion US dollars worth of treasuries, the largest holder of treasuries in the world using money that's being created out of thin air. All right. So when we look at that and we look at the, some of the statistics, which are that about 25 percent of all U.S. dollars 
have been created in the last 18 months that have ever been created. And you start to look at some of the signs of inflation that are starting to come out. I think we shouldn't be arrogant in the West to think that cases that happened in Venezuela and in Zimbabwe are going to be contained to basket case countries, so to speak. We have cases in history where you have hyperinflation that happens extremely quickly that can do complete financial resets across the board that will make 2008 look like a walk in the park. And the reason I say this is that this is why we started our company Valor.com is because we have this whole new crypto asset class that's come up. And, you know, people don't realize we talk about whether it's a bubble, etc. But in the last five years, I was looking at a presentation I did for the bank when I was there and what the value of crypto was at that time compared to what it is now. The market cap of crypto has grown, grown 150x. That is basically 15,000% in the last five years. People are taking note of the fact that our issuance algorithms of money are very jittery, taking note of the language that the regulators are using, that we're moving into unconventional monetary policy, ultra easy monetary policy. The, we are in completely uncharted territory. And there is basically a bubble in the whole world, which is these rates that are going up despite the last few days. But we need to be very careful that there may be a scenario where we have some big resets that are going to take place. It might be soon. It might be in a number of years. But we are certainly on fragile territory here. First, I'm just, I want to stay with you for a second because I know you, uh, you're very familiar with the cryptocurrency world. You don't have enough data. You don't have enough legacy to... Uh, tell us what the uh, normal behavior of a cryptocurrency is, given uh, Bronwyn's ap apocalyptic uh, scenario that she sketched out earlier on, and indeed all of us have, apart from Mia, of course, because she's an eternal <laughs> optimist. How will cryptocurrencies behave should there be a global financial crisis too? Yeah, I think in the short term, nothing will be will be spared uh, when when if there's a if there's something that big that happens that you have a little trigger that kind of cascades throughout the financial system, I wouldn't be so arrogant as to say everybody that holds crypto is going to be saved and you know it's it's going to be it's going to be a walk in the park. I think we have societal, political, economic issues that are converging that affect all human beings across our planet. So it's a system issue that we're talking about. I do believe, however, and by the way, I am an absolute optimist in the long run. But I do believe that we have to go through some resets uh, and like the economy that we've been going at since 2008, 2009, uh, especially with COVID and the longer lasting effects of that on the economy, I think we will see some resets. But I do think that crypto as a scarce asset class, digital scarcity will become the future money of the human race, whether it's Bitcoin or some other crypto, I'm not so sure. But I think that what we're seeing is that we're transcending national territories <clears throat> we're viewing the world as becoming closer together. We need a monetary system that's really international, not something where you send money and it takes two days to arrive at its destination. So, can, can, I come, can I come in here just quickly? Because when Evergrande hit the news, the news basically, we saw Bitcoin, we saw crypto coming down hard across the board. I mean, I think Bitcoin lost about 20% of, of its value. So, I mean, when you're saying that we're looking at a new order of things, it doesn't look as though crypto is going to offer a safe haven status, given how it's responding to the news flow. Crypto is still very young and it will continue to be volatile. 
uh, and I'm certainly not one to say put your put all your money into crypto. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that there's a lot of criticism on crypto because of its volatility. And what I'm also saying is that crypto would not be what it claims to be if it were not volatile at this stage of its evolution. And so we're seeing many people coming into crypto, more and more institutions coming into crypto. Believe it or not, the volatility of crypto has decreased significantly over the past decade. And I think that trend will continue. So we're seeing a change in kind of in paradigms I, I see here. But as I said, I don't think crypto will be immune in the short term to you know, dislocations we see in the financial system. But I think it will be a safe haven in the longer term. Mia, you've got to come in now because we've got yeah. to get to the first. My, so, I mean, we, we've been the, talking about China and cryptocurrencies, two things I don't understand and nobody understands. <laughs> but um, we've got to get back to Earth and talk about a couple of companies on the JSC Securities Exchange, um, notably Capitec. How do they keep on doing what they're doing? How do they do it? It's like getting blood out of a stone. And I promise you, the blood is flowing. Well, firstly, it's a it's a positive attitude. So um, I'll give them that. They they did have a quite substantial financial implications due to the looting. Many of their branches were completely destroyed and will have to be rebuilt. It's close to a billion if you tally up everything, the cash lost and what they'll have to rebuild there. But despite that, they focused on the positive and the positives that came out of COVID due to the fact that it's really enhanced their position on the technology front. They've really done well by by giving access to a lot of people and making it really easy to bank. There's still a lot of people in South Africa that don't bank due to the fact that banking has technically been uh, expensive and it's been expensive because it has been more difficult to, to become a banked citizen. And as technology increases, that really becomes easier and that makes the market uh, bigger for not only for Capitec, for Time Bank, for Ti uh, Bank Zero, etc. But we see that that uh, that Capitec is still retaining the largest market share, the strongest growth there. They've got a uh, there's a sense of of uh, of trust in the bank that's developed over the last couple of years. And yes, when I consider the fact that more than 50% of their their clients are actually using their cell phone banking app, that is a really good. A stat to use and it shows you that people um, people are using banking on their phones people don't visit the branches as often that's the one side to it which gives them the bigger footprint and enhances their their clientele uh, they've got a strong growth in that area as I mentioned but then on the other side they've also really increased and 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 up their 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 client so they've really moved into a higher end of the market as well as their bank progressed over the last couple of years and all those things put together has actually led them to be be retaining their position and to keep on being a really good uh, investment due to the fact that they keep on making money from what the base that they they're operating on so Preston, I want to come in here because besides Capitech, there was news flow out from Bidcorp, Pick and Pay, PPC, choose your, your uh, stock there in terms of what you want to drill down into, um, worthy of further conversation. Yeah, yeah I think uh, the, the Bidcorp numbers were decent. So I mean, yeah, food services, business, you can imagine with supply chain disruptions and, and 
all of the drama we had last year with restrictions you know this company came under quite a lot of pressure but it's just good to see operationally you know through the business units the the, the company recovering quite nicely in fact they're almost at you know uh, pre covid revenue levels and um, you know very strong balance sheet um, you know distributed a, a four and you know dividend to to shareholders per share so i mean uh, you know decent set of numbers it's it's a good business um you know uh, this business has a good track record of execution so i think the numbers were 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 quite encouraging quite nice and on the pick and pay side it's just a you know earnings update we'll get the full results i think you know week or two um but yeah i guess um, you know just on 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 their numbers the, the sales numbers being quite good you know sales up around 4% or so but on a normalized basis stripping out the effect of um you know the looting that we had and you know um you know the, the loss of sales from all of that um you know on a normalized basis yeah sales up around 8% or so so yeah it just looks like you know pick and pay is doing quite quite nicely there, there was some quite interesting uh, info there on the you know sastria Uh, coverage from an insurance perspective so they actually applied for you know 900 million worth of property damage and i think they've received around 600 or so the other 3 300 still to come so quite encouraging but yeah the business continues to do well boxer continues to you know be you know be a good growth engine for the business um of course you know there's you know the likes of alcohol and tobacco and there's some base effects in the numbers there but nevertheless you know still good set of results it'll be interesting to just see what happens with that pick and pay corporate business which um you know you've got those hypers and those supermarkets there and and what happens with that business going forward but you know the share price hasn't responded all that well i think the market's still monitoring this one a little bit more to look at just just the ceo strategy going forward and um i think they're looking for a little bit more execution before the share price starts to re-rate uh, much more from these levels Fazam are you, are you um comfortable talking about South African stocks or do you want to stick with your um with your with your crypto story because I've got a question to ask you or me or Preston go for it uh, probably it's better to ask me or Preston that that probably give you a better answer but uh... okay well not better but certainly different answer I'll go with me me I've been watching a lot of that na- uh, national geographic wild on my television i lead a sad uh, solitary existence so i've been watching these animals that, that go around and they sort of circle these poor these poor sick animals and then they pounce on them and eat them and that seems to me the jsc securities exchange at the moment there are companies that have been eaten up by predators foreign predators i mean at the moment the the speculation is that omnia is the one is omnia the one I mean we've got this well, we've got imperial logistics I mean is this the next one that's going to be eaten by these nasty nasty foreign predators who knows and i think you know that's one one way of looking at it once again as the predators but the other way of looking at it is as as really as a strong capital base coming into south africa and supplying uh, the companies that's already well uh, well developed here with more capital to do more in the country and they normally retain the 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 expertise of these companies as they um as they they operated in South Africa already due to the fact that it is a tough market a, a tough emerging uh, continent really to do business on and people uh, investors especially global investors are very cognizant of that especially when they think about uh, takeover deals so 
I think a bigger, a sort of bigger uh, on on the, in the front of our minds is the fact that a lot of these companies are then delisted, so they don't remain listed, um, but they delist, and that is a a potential issue for retail investors who hold these positions and then have to divest from it because they can't keep on holding it. So that's probably one of the big concerns. But on the other side. You know, there's so many of these companies, as you referred to. I think I, I, I looked at Zida the other day, and they've been trading under a cautionary now for four months. We don't know what's going on there. We don't know what the appetite is, where it's coming from, any of that. There's not really any rumors in the market around it either. Uh, but there are so many of it. And an interesting thing that I also picked up in the results this, this past uh, couple of weeks is the fact that when I look at a company like Adapt IT, which is one of the companies that's being taken out now by foreign investors, they really haven't done their part during lockdown where most of the ITC companies, uh, you really utilize the fact that uh, working from home was a trend during lockdown and they um, everyone really focused on cutting their operational costs and made their profits larger, even though they, their revenue haven't grown as much when I now uh, refer to to um, to Alviva and, and, and those companies. But Adapt IT didn't do that, and they haven't really increased their profit. They've really not really worried about their costs. So that's also a detriment to investors and to the, the foreign investor in many cases, where these companies just stop caring about managing their costs and not running their business as good as they, they would have being a, a listed company. So that could be a concern if these things uh, drag out. But yes, I mean, that I think it's a, it's a, it's a great feather in the cap of South Africa to 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 think about the fact that we've got these amazing businesses that foreign investors want to to come in, acquire, and in, enlarge the footprint of these businesses through Africa in many cases. So I don't think it's all negative, uh, but but yes, I'll be selective in my in my choosing. So Fazam, Lindsay doesn't understand crypto. I don't understand crypto, but I tell you what, I am not going to miss out on the next Bitcoin. So I think I've obviously already missed out on Solano. Where do we go now? Because really this is a space, when you talk about diversification, you can't ignore a trend that is gathering this much momentum and the money that has been made off the back of Bitcoin. There are many, many multi-millionaire Bitcoin people out there. So talk to me about getting into the space. I mean, look, I, of course, I don't want to, again, be a, a millionaire overnight, but I would like to get in on the action. And, and Vala is an easy way to get in there. Forget about Lindsay, because he's never going to get in on the action. He's going to be really I believe you just said that. I want to get in on the, on the action. This is an I asset do. class. The people I that have made money, there's money. other people that have lost money. But anyway, Fazam, please answer that um, rather provocative question. Beautiful question. Beautiful question. Um, so, so I think, you know, people think it's late. It's still extremely early. You know, the fact that we have these conversations, let, let me put it this way, right? This conversation is a little bit like, you know, uh, one of these conversations with Oprah Winfrey back in the day, uh, where in, in the mid 1990s, they're saying, have you heard about this thing called the internet? They have that thing with the a with a squiggle around it. Uh, is it called about? What is it? You know, and so so we're still very early. And at that stage, you know, the internet was and the value that the internet created was way ahead of it. We're talking about an asset class that's two trillion US dollars, right? Gold, a lump of metal that's a bit shiny that humans like, is worth about 10 trillion US dollars. Equities that we're talking about are in the hundreds of trillions of dollars. And debt across across the world is in the 
several hundreds of, of trillions of dollars. So we're talking about crypto, which is a speck on the financial landscape. So my feeling always is that this really is an asset class that cannot well, people cannot afford now to completely dis disregard. If you don't believe in it or you don't understand it, then that's fine. And I, I'm a big believer that you should be investing in whatever you do invest in a manner that's commensurate with your knowledge of that asset that you're investing in. But I think the, some people are just, to understand it more, you need to have a little bit of stake in it. That will make you pay attention. So at Valor, we allow people to come and buy as little as 10 Rand worth of Bitcoin and over 60 other cryptocurrencies. And so we don't, I'm not a financial advisor. I wouldn't say this is the next thing or that's the next thing. I think that kind of misses the point. But what I'm saying is this asset class is extremely powerful. And you ha if you haven't explored it truly, then it's time to get in with a little bit. And if you maybe with the amount of money that you're willing to completely lose, but to start paying attention, why did it go up 5% today? Why did it go up 10% or down 10% 10 yesterday or whatever it may be? But we're talking about a concept of digital scarcity that never existed before this. It is the first time in human history that we can hold something digital in our own custody and not rely on a third party. We're also talking about the programmability of money. So our entire system, think about the streaming of money. We think about streaming of music and the streaming of videos, but why should you get your salary you know, once a month? Why isn't your money and your salary streamed to you every second? These are the type of technologies that cryptocurrency enables for humanity. So we're talking a, not just a new asset class. It's a completely new way of operating our financial system. Uh, a very good point that you've made. And um, also, when you look at the art world, digital art selling for, you know, there's some kid who's 12 years old has sold art on, online for 280,000 US dollars. I mean, it's the same thing. It's like a gangly teenager. It doesn't quite know where it's going at the moment. The hormones all over the place. And eventually it will become mature. And people like me and Bronwyn, dinosaurs, and Mia, no, not Mia so much, but um, no, 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 no. We sorry, will eventually understand down, yeah. what's going on when it becomes mature itself. Preston, let's get back to our my normality anyway, and talk about the fact that it's October the first today. It's the first day of the final quarter of two thousand and twenty-one. What's going to happen? September's the most volatile month historically. In, in, in stock markets worldwide, and it has been volatile. Do we get a couple of, of, of wobbles during October? What do you think? Sure. Uh, Lindsay, a tricky one to answer, uh, but I definitely think, yeah, it's, it's going to be wobbly for a while. Um, but but what I can suggest, you know, or, or say, you know, within our local market, um, you know, we've seen um, the likes of the financials have quite a good rally. We've seen resources come under massive pressure in the last couple of weeks. Um, there's possibly some opportunity in there. So that's one space that I'm eyeing in our local market, which is our commodity space. Um, I just think, you know, commodities have come off quite a bit. A lot of it is due to, you know, the short term, especially the PGM counters, just short term um, supply chain disruptions. There's there's destocking on the supply side. There's the chip shortage. Those are those are shorter term issues. And I think you know six twelve months, maybe eighteen months out, that normalizes. There's still going to be demand for 
um, you know, vehicles going forward. You know, it's there's going to be some a lot of pent up demand there actually, um, and you know that the metals industry in general is just you know undercapitalized. So. Um, uh, that's one area of the market I'm looking quite intently at, Lindsay. Um, if you look at the previous cycle with some of these PGM counters, you know, you, you could pick up these companies that are, you know, 10 times to 25 times, you know, cash multiple. That's that's price to cash flow. Now you could probably pick up the likes of, you know, Northern Sabanya at, a, you know, five, six times. You know, some of them you could pick up at a four or three times <laughs> price to cash flow multiple. So I know there's a lot of headwinds in the sector, but what's in the price? And I just think the price is very compelling at these levels. These companies are not the way they were in 2016. Um, you know, they are focused on, you know, unlocking value for shareholders as opposed to, you know, new new projects and new mines. Um, there's a lot of focus on dividends and returning value to shareholders from that perspective. And, you you know, the, you know, the, the guys that are running these companies, you know, they, they're good asset allocators or capital allocators. Um, you know, they, they're not just, you know, very good technical, you know, engineering or mining people. They financially, you know, no disrespect to those guys. They, they're good at what they do, but they, you know, uh, proper CAs and, 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 and guys that are, you know, you know, quite sharp. So I, I just think, you know, um, this trade medium term, you know, three to five years out, I think, I think it's a good time uh, to get in this trade. Now, you just got to be uh, careful on, you know, the ones you select. I like Northern. I, I think we're going to chat around. So are we going to gonna... pop it up? You're jumping the gun here because I'm going to push you for one to me before <laughs> is northern your hot stock question you're going to give yes me so northern is okay if i northern is you, i'm looking for a hot crypto okay so let's go back to preston your hot stock yes let's... so it's definitely northern platinum i mean the company came out with results yesterday um i thought the results were really good um volumes up price prices you know benefiting from the higher commodity prices but uh, there's a lot of growth coming through you know the boysendal uh, mine the south part of the mine um, they've actually surprised on the upside there in terms of the output numbers so ahead of what what the market expected and the zonderhead mine as well so there uh, again you know um, uh, there's some good output good numbers coming through and you know what was surprising for me was just just good unit cost performance which was really good and, um, you know, this business has a really good um, runway for growth. So there's probably maybe 30, 40 percent more volume growth in the next couple of years. And you're buying the company at, you know, now I haven't checked what the, the latest, latest cash multiple is, but you're probably picking it up at a six times cash multiple. Um, that's extremely cheap. And, and I think this business is going to start resuming dividends probably mid next year or toward the end of um, uh, December 2022, and that would definitely result in a share price re-rating as well. So I'm quite bullish on that one. Um, I know many people aren't on the sector, but I just think the price is just overdone at these levels. So that's my pick, guys. Very good, Mia. Yeah. Yes, I can just add there. I mean, they're not paying dividends, but they did reduce their share capital by nearly 30% over the last 12 months, which is substantial. So as a shareholder, you have really increased your value there. Uh, but on that trend, let's stick to one of my favorites, Sabanya. Uh, I mean, if you think Northern is cheap, Sabanya is even cheaper. Yeah. Sabanya is trading at uh, three times uh, price to earnings and three times uh, cash flow. So that is extremely cheap. And they are paying you a 13% dividend. So um, once again, you know, I also like the fact as a long-term investor that they focused on 
um, on the, the battery technology and battery metals going forward. They're doing really interesting deals. Uh, they've, been, they've been very good allocators of capital, and I hope that they will continue that. Uh, so, yes, it's a, I think this is a good one. They, they are sort of a diversified, small diversified, not only PGMs as many people see them these days. Uh, and I think that they, going forward, will re-rate at some stage. Bazam, as we move to this asset class that we're going to regularly engage on, Lindsay Williams, you are going to be buying. We're going to give you some valor. Uh, you're going to experiment on that side. Right, Bazam. So, so <clears throat> I don't like to speculate like my colleagues in the traditional financial system. Uh, so, <laughs> so what I would say is uh, just, uh, I mean, I would start honestly with Bitcoin. It's 42% of uh, the total market cap of all cryptocurrencies. Um, as I said, I'm really not in the game of advising on any particular crypto. I think you should enter wisely, safely. And also what I would say, if anybody's listening to this, I don't recommend everybody to put something into crypto. If you're living hand to mouth and you need your money, crypto right now is not for you, right? It's very speculative. So if you're saving for school fees, healthcare, et cetera, in a couple of months, crypto is very volatile and I wouldn't recommend it. So uh, it just depends. We always advocate just putting your money responsibly where it should go, depending on your own situation. But start start small and then learn. And then as you learn, uh, you can invest uh, appropriately. That's a very good um, piece of advice. Um, the, the volatility will calm down. And you mentioned earlier that it has calmed down. But on the other hand, it has gone from below 30,000 up to 52,000, now back at 43,000. So that is not coming down in, in my world, but I understand, and we're just talking about Bitcoin now. I have to put one thing in here, Bronwyn, because I have to have my, um, my tip as well. The company, and uh, Mia will know this, I'm keen on it, ASML, I don't own it, I won't own it, but it says one of the key suppliers to computer chip makers, I'm reading this from Reuters, increased its financial forecast on Wednesday and said it would have revenue growth of 11% annually through to 2030. That's nine years of 11% growth. And he, he just says um, estimated revenue would hit 24 to 30 billion euros uh, by 2025. Now, the point is that there's no, well, rather, excuse me, the other way around, there are high barriers to entry for this the company that we're talking about, ASML, listed in Amsterdam. Uh, Mia, please back me up on this one. You're more intelligent than I. <laughs> no, I think you've got that right. You know, they they are really a leader in 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 in, um, in, in uh, chip um, manufacturing, and they've been that for many many years. They also have a history in South Africa, so. It's a very interesting company, and I think it's a it's a good company. It's not a company that's very well known within South Africa, but globally it is very well known. And I think if you're in the chip industry, you definitely know of SML, um, ASML, sorry. And um, and yes, Lindsay, great pick. Thank you very much. You know, before we end, before we end, I build this show as the global financial crisis part two. Are we going to see it happen? Uh, <laughs> Where are we? So I'm putting that question to all of you around the table. And um, I need to know where we stand on this. All right. So, yeah, I'm going to leave you for last because we, we want to end on an optimistic note. But for example, <laughs> you, you, sir, how bad is this going to get? Listen, I, I think 
what I know is that we are in a very fragile financial system. Um, I think that cannot be ignored, right? And I, and I think when we talk about experimentation, I think the experiment is not in crypto, but we're looking at the experiment being in what the US dollar is and fiat currency, which is unbacked by gold for only 50 years. And by the way, we've been through this story in history many times, and it always results in basically the disappearance or the downfall of the reserve currency of the world. What that looks like, I don't know. When it happens, I don't know. It could be as soon as, you know, in the next year, it could be in the next few decades. So it's very difficult to kind of, you've got to take a view and take some investment decisions on that. But the point is that there is a reset that's required. We cannot continue on our, continue, on our current path. That is for sure. When it happens, as I said, is a questionable thing. I think the pain will be severe for the entire world across all asset classes when it does happen. But I think we'll pick up the pieces and then we'll, we'll continue at that point. So uh, that's kind of my view. I'm a long-term optimist, but a short-term pessimist as to where we are with our financial system. Kristen, let's get your view here. Yeah, it's a, I'd agree with some of the sentiments from, you know, Fazam. I think, you know, we're probably somewhere on the long, you know, on the long, sorry, on the, on the dead cycle, you know, we, 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 we on the tail end of it, but who knows where, where on that, you know, curve. So it's a little bit difficult to, to say when, you know, but, but definitely the, the, the environment that we are in is, is very fragile. Um, we've accumulated a lot of debt. We should probably start looking at Japan as a case study for, for the world a little bit more closer. Um, but yeah, certainly I think the market for now is going to look intently at inflation and um, you know whether it's sustained or not. And we're going to look at these prints going forward. Um, we're going to monitor if those yields go to you know, 175, 180. I think the market's going to be uh, paying very close attention to some of these shorter term uh, numbers and, and how the inflation prints uh, are going forward. Um, and, and that would obviously, you know, give signals into uh, inflation or stagflation and, and all of those type of factors will, will, will feed into, um, you know, uh, where we find ourselves in in the next year or two and would also um, give us a little bit more clarity on where we are in terms of, sure, is, is this a real problem? Is this manageable? So I think you, there's a lot. Are you yourself a little nervous there, Preston, when you look at the, I'm, I'm, yes or no? Are you nervous? I'm, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely nervous at the moment. I'm definitely nervous, yeah. So I think I think it's, I've, I haven't been this nervous for quite some time. So I must say that I am I am quite nervous, but I don't think that, I think there's, there's, still, there's still a lot of things that the market has to monitor. So, um, yeah, I'm just waiting for data to come my way. And uh, once there's a little bit more clarity and, and, yeah, once we can look at actual numbers and then get a sense, um, like stagflation is an interesting one and one I've been, uh, you know, just, just trying to apply my mind uh, to a little bit more more lately. There's a lot of commentary on that out there. And exactly, so, on the stagflation side, we're going to look at high inflation, low growth, high unemployment. High unemployment, yeah, exactly. I'm coming to you right now, and uh, we know that your glass is half full. <laughs> yeah, so, um, I mean, I'll keep it short. I think for a long-term investor, and most people without uh, wanting to to admit it, are long-term investors, and, uh, and long-term looks like 30 years plus. So if you uh, if you uh, if you live to an old age and you already invest, then you are a long-term investor, whether you want to admit it or not. 
And the best thing to do is buy and stay. So buy when you've got the cash. If the market gets cheap, buy more. Uh, there's always going to be worries and there very might well be a big financial crisis again. But um, yes, there's no need, no need to, to get emotional on your decision making. Just stick it out. Ride it through. Lindsay, are you going to be able to hold your emotions at bay? This could be a challenge for you. I'm an emotional person, you know. I'm, I'm passionate about things, Bronwyn, but I'll, I'll take a deep breath and say that uh, have a look at the way that market participants have uh, behaved over the last couple of weeks. Normally, it's, as soon as it comes down, they buy it up again. This time, as soon as it rallies, they bring it down. So it's a complete sea change in the way that people are behaving at the moment. It's the 1st of October. It's the fourth quarter has started. Fourth quarter is going to be feisty. Energy prices are rising. You look at oil today, it's down a little bit, but uh, natural gas is up about 1.5% again this morning. And multi-year highs is up 135% this year. That's, that's a problem for Europe. You've got the debt problem in China. You've got US, a country. The United States is a country in crisis. It's split on social and political lines. Now, we've got some problems coming up here. There's, there's, there's some problems. And the sell-off has already started. Have a lovely weekend. Well, we're going we're to be back same time next Friday at 9 o'clock across all of our platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. We will do some rehearsals with David Shapiro because you saw him coming in and out of the show. We tried to get oh, him David. up and running. We will have him. We'll handhold him into next week, Friday's show. So uh, on that note, I'm going to bring the business of money and hot stocks to an end. Thank you very much to Preston Nairan Sami, Nedbank Private Wealth, Fazam Esani, Valor.com, the CEO and co-founder of Valor.com, Mia Kruger, director at Kruger International, and of course, my co-host, my emotional co-host, Lindsay Williams, the founder of strictlybusiness.com. Next Friday, same time, nine o'clock. Thanks very much. Thank you.